This is the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Ontario Premier Kathleen Wynne suing opposition leader Patrick Brown for defamation. Uh, this was in regards to comments he had made prior to Wynne's testimony in the bribery, uh, the election bribery scandal, which of course happened up in Sudbury. Uh, and of course, um, Patrick Brown making reference to win standing trial, which of course uh, she wasn't. She just testified. To talk more about all of this, Duff Conacher is with this co-founder of Democ- uh, Democracy Watch and adjunct professor, University of Ottawa, on the line with us now. Duff, thank you for taking the time to join us today. We appreciate this. Duff, are you there? Yes, I am. Okay. Uh, so uh, Patrick Brown says this is a baseless, uh, baseless legal threat, or as lawyers do, uh, is this a, base, a baseless legal threat? Uh, no, it's not, because he was essentially uh, alleging that the premier had been charged for um, a quasi-criminal violation, violation of the elections law. And that's a pretty serious thing to say. Um and uh, to say that she was in court uh, facing those charges um, and not withdrawing it or apologizing for it, which is usually what happens with libel law cases. You just see that the person apologize and um, and then it goes away. So uh, she's right to do it. I mean, I, I, I think there's lots of instances uh, where uh, MPs, MPPs and provincial politicians could be complaining about each other uh, spinning and, and misleading. Uh, most of it happens in the legislature, and unfortunately they're allowed to do it in the legislature for some strange reason. Uh, that should be disallowed, and an honesty in politics law should be put in place to stop this kind of uh, behavior because it turns people off politics. Uh, I would agree with that wholeheartedly. Um, uh, and, and I think most would agree that uh, he was out of line. Why would he just not apologize? Is the, Obviously, this is drawing more attention to the whole case, he, he thinks. Why would he just not do what he's supposed to do and move on? Uh, I guess it's just a calculation that um, when she um, continues with this case, uh, Premier Wynne is having to mention the court case and the charges that, that were laid against her uh, senior officials and, and a representative of the party up in Sudbury, and that that uh, kind of at least is neutral for the Conservatives to have that have to be repeated out there, um, w- along with the allegation that he uh, made this libelous comment about the Premier. So I'm, I'm guessing that's what the calculation is. But, you know, if you had an honesty in politics law, and he didn't apologize. This is Democracy Watch's proposal. You'd, you would have 24 hours to apologize and withdraw a statement and, uh, and say that um, you were mistaken or that you had made a false claim. Otherwise, you would face an investigation by the Integrity Commissioner uh, in Ontario, it would be, or Ethics Commissioner at the federal level, and you would face a fine of up to one year's salary. That's, that's what we think... Uh, is needed to stop this kind of dishonest spin that infects politics across Canada and, and as we know from what's going on down the states uh, as well in, in the states. You know, we're a few years behind the states, but we're heading in the same direction. And it, look how dysfunctional it is when every, one party is, is spinning an untruth and the other, another uh, response is a, a spun the other way, and it's also not true. Why would po- voters ever watch something like that? And, and again, you think the whole reasoning behind this is just to keep drawing attention to the case and the fact that she was she testified? 
Well, yeah, because every article about the uh, her her claim and proceeding with the court case mentions that there was a court case where liberals right. were charged with violating the elections law. Mm-hmm. So it's usually in the subheadline, right? So even if someone's just reading the headlines, they're reminded that there were liberals in court for violating a uh, charge with violating the election law, and and so I, I guess the conservatives are thinking, well, you know, that's kind of at least neutral for us, and and hopefully. Uh, more damaging to the government because most people would say, okay, what I said, you know, they're just hoping that most people would say, well, yeah, what he said was a bit too direct, but, you know, she was in court testifying. Right. And, you know, so we'll give them the benefit of the doubt, but we won't give the liberals the benefit of the doubt because they actually, she was in court testifying because two liberals were charged. So I'm guessing that's their calculation. Um, So, you know, her, her out is libel law. But it's not the best system. We should have an honesty in politics law. It give you 24 hours to apologize, withdraw your statement, and and make it clear that you that you misled voters. Otherwise, you'd face this uh, definite penalty of up to a year's salary. It, and we need to stop the spin and the counterspin that is misleading, because it's been shown in surveys by Elections Canada and and other election agencies to be a number one turnoff yeah, for voters. I agree. Uh, could this come back to, to haunt him? I mean, obviously the PCs have shot themselves in the foot the last couple of elections. Could this be one of those festering wounds that, uh, you know, backs up their claims, facts still matter, which is, you know, uh, the headline of the daily press releases that come across my desk every day uh, from the Liberals. Uh, they've jumped onto the facts <clears throat> still matter uh, mantra. Uh, yeah, it, could, it, it, could this come back to haunt him? It is dangerous because what it allows through election debates and the whole election campaign is um, for them to paint uh, promises uh, that the conservatives might make as, you know, this guy will say anything. You know, look what he said. He libeled the the premier. And um, so I think that's why she's pursuing it, Mm -hmm. is that if she pursues it and he refuses to apologize... It's not going to happen before the election, but it's out there, and it's just painting him into a corner that this guy will say anything, including lie, yeah. to get elected. Yeah, and and, and that's a loose an that's a loose thread. You start running with it now, man. There'll be no sweater left by the election. Exactly, because you know swing voters pay attention to these issues because yeah. they want things cleaned up as much as anything, and for swing voters, trusting that you're going to actually clean things up is very important. So the Conservatives, to their credit, have made extensive promises to clean things up um, and make several changes uh, that are much needed. But if you don't trust that they'll make them, then why would you swing your vote over to the, the PCs and vote for them? So it, it's very damaging. It's, it's a key issue for swing voters, and swing voters decide elections. So that's yeah. why the Liberals will keep hammering on it. So uh, where do you think this is going to go? Because uh, obviously if he keeps dragging it, Patrick Brown keeps dragging this out the way it is, it could play right into the hands of the Liberals. So, Yeah, it won't likely get into court based on court backlog. You know, she's actually pursued the claim now. He has 20 days to respond. And then they go back and forth with uh, every 30 days or so exchanging um, the, the court filings. Right. Um, there's a couple of rounds of that. There's affidavits, and then there's the actual legal arguments, and then they schedule a court date. So, so where will this be in, in regard to the next election? Well, um, it, it's really up to him. 
I think the I think the premier win will continue pursuing it, and um, she'll just go right through to in, uh, through into court. Even if uh, the liberals lose, you know why would she give this up? Um, no, but I guess my point is, if none of this is going to be resolved between now and election time, is there as much incentive for him to to make it right going into the next election? Because by the time... That's all their the calculation, right? Yeah. No one really knows. We, we do surveys, election agencies do surveys after elections, trying to figure out why people voted the way they did. Um, nobody really knows, because someone can easily, given we have a secret ballot, someone can easily say why they voted. You know, when Elections Canada does ele- post-election surveys, usually about 15% more people said they voted than actually voted. Mm. So people hmm. even lie about voting, because, <laughs> because voting is seen to be a, yeah. uh, something that's good to yeah, do, right? Yeah. So when they're called and their dinner is interrupted by Elections Canada, they say, oh yeah, I voted. And it, as, it's usually 15% more saying they voted than actually did. So we don't know why people vote, but they're, both parties are making a calculation, and both leaders, Premier Wynne is saying, is calculating that I'm going to pursue this because we want to paint him in the corner as someone who can't be trusted, who will say anything to get elected, including lie, about something so serious as to say I was actually in court because I was charged. You know, if he's going to lie about that and yeah. refuse to apologize, why would you trust anything this guy is going to say? And Patrick Brown is making the calculation that every time she pursues this and there's another story, it mentions the fact that... It makes them look worse, yeah. yeah. So yeah. they'll both calculate um, whether it's working for them through doing in-depth polling and, and trying to gauge. Uh, well, also... But they, they're both obviously committed yeah. to continuing uh, this battle for their own reasons. And, um, and with, if we had an honesty in politics law, it would be cleared up because it would go to the ethics commissioner and you wouldn't have these long processes or a backlog like you have uh, in the courts because the ethics commissioner would only deal with these cases and um, would be able to settle them quite quickly. You know, it's clear he lied. So you would be able to have a ruling come out very soon after and you, if he didn't apologize, he would be penalized. That's why we need that system there to get these things cleared up so that they can't hang over an election unfairly to any party. Do you think the public duff is viewing this uh, as black and white? Do you think that, or if you're a supporter of one, you'll say, yeah, if you're a supporter of the other, you'll you'll back them? Or do you think, no, nah, this is one of those things, well, yeah, you shouldn't have said that, that, that most people get, most people understand? I would it. think so, because it, it wasn't nuanced. He didn't say she was in court um, testifying. He made it very clear that she was in court um, charged essentially and so on trial he crossed the line yeah on trial so he crossed the line and you can't use a phrase like on trial and then say i just meant you know that the liberal party's ethics were on trial not when the person's going into court if you're saying they're on trial you're saying they are on trial so is he smart to just extinguish this right now and move on say hey yeah that's not what i meant i meant this sorry Hmm. move on i think he should have uh right away because he's introduced i think it's called the trust Integrity and Accountability Act is what he's one of his big five promises, and you know he's not showing a lot of integrity in this situation. So it's um, it's it's damaging him, I I believe, in the end, uh, and the longer it goes, it will damage him more than it will damage the Liberals. Everyone knows about the case already. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's over. It's done with. It's old news, right? Yeah, and for him, mm-hmm. it's 
really you're still having to apologize yeah. for making a blatantly misleading and the fact that claim? and the fact that it went the way it was and everything was thrown at anyway i mean what uh, why even bother pursuing this exactly so i think it will hurt them more um but obviously they they think it it isn't going to hurt them it's worth continuing i'm i i'm not sure why i i think it's a bad calculation on patrick do you Brown think you part. will see him uh change course do you think he will i don't know, apologize as best any politician can or do you think he'll just keep going full steam ahead the problem now is apologizing only when there's the threat of a court finding you guilty doesn't yeah. show a lot of integrity either right yeah. so now that she's actually you because with libel claims, you, you give a notice of libel to someone. Yeah, my, yeah. she already did announce that she was considering this, and I guess he blew it off, and this is the official filing, correct? Exactly. Yeah. So he had that chance then. Mm-hmm. Now it's actually going through court. She has a lawyer working on it, and he has to respond, et cetera, et cetera. So now to back down, you know, I think he's, I think he's lost this battle no matter what he does now because um, integrity would mean... Yes, I made a claim that crossed the line. Yeah. I should have said that um, with this case, the Liberals' ethics are on trial and the, and the Premier is in court testifying today. And that would have been accurate and would have used the phrase on trial you know, in an accurate way, right, as a metaphor. Yeah, I mean, there's got to be a way to wordsmith uh, all of this so you know everyone feels like they've won. I mean, that's what lawyers get paid to do in the end of the day. Yeah, and he... Sh- he must be aware, because every poll in the last 20 years has shown this, that honesty in politics is a very hot-button issue yeah. for a majority of voters. They're sick of the spin and counterspin that's misleading. Why? Because even if you pay attention to politics, if one side is, is misleading and the other side is, is, is counterspinning and it's also misleading, you don't know what the truth is. It's very frustrating. Well, to, to Why not watch politics on TV where you know it's fiction, the, the people look better, yeah. the drama and, yeah. and the plot lines... Storylines are better. Are better. <laughs> and that's why people watch House of Cards, yeah. uh, even though it's about U.S. politics, yeah. and don't watch and pay attention to politics here because honest discussions are not happening about real problems and real solutions. Mm-hmm. And as a result, why would you pay attention to that? Why would you go and vote when you know that half the, the platforms of all the parties are false? Are they doing this because they think it worked in the United States? But then I, I you know, I'll always bring up: do do either political party understand why the election turned the way it did? This was a protest vote as much as anything. This was an anything but the establishment. I mean, and that's another thing. If, you know, to take it down to the states, the Democrats, it seems, still have failed to realize how this man got in. And, and again, it's, no, we don't like yours or yours. This is what we're going to do to throw a stick into the spoke of this. So it's not like there was any brilliant political maneuver. It's, it was anything but the establishment. Yeah. And they thought they were going to get an alternative with Trump. What they are watching, though, is that the big lie works with rabid yeah. supporters. Now, what I would say to that is, it doesn't work with swing voters, and swing voters decide election. Your rabid supporters are going to come out and vote for you. And I think it only works once. Yes, also. It's like crying wolf. Exactly. And when you shatter that trust, like, like uh, Trudeau has with his electoral reform promise, right? Uh-huh. This will be the last election yeah. under this electoral system. Yeah. And he, he lied. Yeah. To get into power. There was no reason for him not to proceed. He may, and he, then he lied about why he couldn't proceed. 
So um, that's, he's shattered the trust with a bunch of swing voters. Um, you know, it's not the only reason people vote, mm-hmm. but he'll lose some percentage on, on the next election, and every opposition leader in the next election will be able to say, don't believe anything this guy says. Yeah. Remember this. Yeah. Remember this broken promise and this broken promise and this broken promise. And, of course, uh, Ontarians, Canadians say, see, one's as bad as the other, and the, cyni- and the cynicism continues, unfortunately. Well, and the other problem is, really, are they going to go down this road where in the U.S., because there are not honest discussions on any issue, they never solve any societal problem? Yeah, yeah. And really, so that's where we're going, that's where they want to lead us, to a position where we never discuss anything honestly, so politicians never solve any problem because you can't solve a problem unless you have an honest discussion about it right you 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 have to have an honest assessment of solutions an honest assessment of problems and then you debate it honestly and and you proceed if it's all spin and it's all misleading you'll never solve any problem look at the u.s that's the that's the problem they've had for the last 25 years is that they've been shouting lies at each other both sides and as a result no one ever addresses reality, and problems don't get solved. Duff Conagher has been with us, co-founder of Democracy Watch, adjunct professor, University of Ottawa. Duff, as always, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Thank you. Take care. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. All eyes on Alabama today in the U.S. Uh, Senate election taking place, an election that has controversial Roy Moore uh, running amid sexual misconduct allegations in a land which is uh, normally a strong Republican uh, base. Uh, Here's what uh, one supporter of Roy Moore had to say. A lot of of people don't believe everything. You know, um, this guy was a West Point graduate, Vietnam veteran. Uh, and if he's a pedophile, if people don't know about it. And uh, his opposition, a supporter for Doug Jones. His religious convictions are so personal and entrenched in his personality that, in my opinion, it renders him unable to fulfill his office. Uh, that's, uh, the, I believe, uh, the supporter of uh, Doug Jones talking, uh, making reference to Roy Moore. Uh, let's bring in Inez de la Quatera, Global Nationals, uh, Washington correspondent, and uh, see what the mood is like down there. Hello, Inez. How are you today? Hey there. I'm good. Thanks for having me. Thank you for taking the time to join us. What is the mood in Alabama today? Yeah, so uh, we are in Montgomery right now. We just stopped by in the last hour uh, by a polling station here in Montgomery and chatted with people coming out of the out of the polling station. Um, and I mean, you know, I think it's a big nail biter. Nobody really knows who's going to win. Even the people who had just voted, as much as they support their candidates, they just they can't. None of the people we spoke with could really make any claim or or, or pretend to know who would win because it's just such uh, you know a contested election. It's unclear. The polling has been kind of all over the place, so that's not even helping us really. Fox News did have a poll out uh, yesterday that had uh, Jones in the lead, the Democrat, uh, by as much as 10 points. Um, but every week they've been bouncing back and forth between the polls, so it's hard to say. People, though, are uh, people we spoke with, there didn't seem to be any undecideds, really. It's, you know, you're either for Jones or for more, and people have very strong reasons as to why they're vo- voting for their candidate. Uh, obviously, Alabama's stronghold for Republicans. Why so divisive this time out? 
That's right. Well, so these allegations that came out, more uh, an accused child molester, and as many of nine, as, as nine women have come forward now to uh, accuse him of sexual harassment. Uh, so that has, you know, Jones, who was initially a long shot, is now an actual contender because of these allegations. Some some Republicans saying they just can't vote for an accused child molester. Uh, you had, uh, you know, you've had prominent Republicans say they, they couldn't vote for, for more. Uh, so you had uh, Richard Shelby, Alabama's other Republican senator over the weekend saying that he himself couldn't vote for more so he didn't vote for more he actually wrote in uh a, a, another candidate wouldn't say who it was but wrote in another candidate and he's urging other voters to do the same um but that's that's the big issue here uh but people we've spoken with you know they they recognize that it's been a tough choice many of them a lot of people here are um obviously very conservative very religious as a lot of christians we spoke with said you know uh it was a tough choice but ultimately for them more aligns more with their Christian values, mm. such as, for instance, uh, the fact that he's pro-life. One woman pointed to that yesterday, saying that was what ultimately earned her vo- vote. She called uh, more the the lesser of two evils, and she thinks more in the Senate will fight for her convictions. So convictions uh, strong enough that uh, the past doesn't seem to resonate with some. That's, a, that's, that's what I've heard. Yeah, pretty much. They say, you know, this was in the past. They also don't believe these women, right? So a lot of them question yeah. these women. They're, you know, they keep something I've heard over and over again is innocent until proven guilty. And they want to see these women taken to court. They don't believe them. They think they're lying. One woman yesterday says she thinks uh, these women are being paid. Um, so yeah, they, they, for them, what, what happens in the future is more important than what's happened in the past. They say that this was 30 years ago. Uh, but of course, Moore's opponents and critics say that this this is uh, it's something that's unacceptable no matter how long ago it was and that it uh, shows what kind of person he is and that this cannot possibly be uh, overlooked. Trump slow to support more and then eventually came around uh, considering Moore's reputation. How do you think this is going to affect the president? Yeah, so Trump initially kind of kept his distance from Moore and then finally gave a full-throated endorsement, you know, uh, tweeting and even at that rally in Pensacola last week, uh, encouraging uh, Alabamians to vote for Moore again today on Twitter. Uh, And I I think it can't be understated just how much his endorsement mattered. A lot of the people I spoke with say, you know, I'm voting for Moore because he's a Trumplican, is what they called him. Mm. And they say that they're confident that Moore is going to be on the president's side in the Senate. And that's what Trump has been arguing as well, that, uh, you know, he's he's encouraging people to vote for more so that he can get his agenda passed in the Senate. Uh, And Trump obviously needs more uh, just for that specific purpose. And obviously that outweighs whatever his checkered past is. That's right. So Republicans only have a two vote majority in the Senate. So they really need, uh, you know, all the seats they can get. Um, and, and yeah, Jerome definitely needs more in the Senate. Uh, another thing that was interesting, we had, uh, so, you know, of course, uh, Trump didn't initially endorse more. He actually, during the primary, endorsed his opponent, Luther Strange, and then eventually did get on board with uh, more. But the president's former senior advisor, Steve Bannon, he's always been uh, pro more. Steve Bannon, of course, being uh, the very establishment guy who helped rally uh, Trump's core base during the primary and then during the presidential election. So Steve Bannon backing more has backed more. Uh, this whole time. And he actually appeared with Moore at a rally 
rally yesterday um, and was very critical of Republicans who have declined to endorse more. He uh, went after uh, people like Richard Shelby, Alabama's other Republican senator, but also the president's uh, daughter. So Ivanka Trump recently saying that there was a special place in hell mm. for people who p- preyed on children and Steve Bannon yesterday using her own words against uh, against her and saying there's a special place in hell for Republicans who don't support other Republicans. Wow, that was something. How do those in Alabama feel about being thrust into this debate on the world's or certainly on the American stage? And, and how divisive how divisive is it in Alabama? Yeah, um, it's funny. A lot of people, especially given that we're a Canadian network, a lot of people think it's uh, kind of funny that, you know, there would be, they feel like they understand the national attention. They're a little bit more surprised when they see that media from all over the world is down here in Alabama. Um, but I think they understand it. They see just how, uh, how, how div- divisive this election has been and, and they understand the stakes. Uh, at play here. So, you know, some of the people I spoke with yesterday, one woman uh, was going door knocking for the first time because she said four more. And she says this election just matters so much. Uh, and they're the eyes of the world. I asked her, why are you going door knocking for this election if you've never done this before? And she's like, well, just the very reason you're here uh, explains it. The world is watching and we want to show what Alabama is all about. Um, and we support this man that they view to be a Christian man with the values that they uh, that they want embodied in the Senate. Um, so, yeah, they, they, they understand it. Um, and, but it is divisive. It's been a divisive election for sure. And it just kind of goes to show just how divided the not Alabama is, but the U.S. as well. What will happen if Alabama goes Democrat? Well, that's a good question. Yeah, it would be. A lot of people say it's not going to hold, right? So it would just be for the, the next few years, but that right. there's no way that this can hold. But it would be just fascinating. No Democrat has won a, a, a Senate or a race for Senate or for governor in the last uh, 20 years. Um, so it would be pretty remarkable if Jones won. And I think the big question is, uh, will this be just kind of the starting po- point of further things to come. And with the midterms, it's 2018 midterms around the corner. Uh, if Alabama falls, are other states then going to fall as well? Other, you know, really red states, Republican states. Um, is that going to be a pattern we start seeing going forwards because people do ultimately decide to reject uh, this kind of Trumplican, uh, these, these, these kind of kind of politics? Uh, for more, is it more about the sexual allegations coming back to haunt him? Or, you know, what about even his past record uh, being ousted from uh, the Supreme Court, Chief Justice? Uh, what, what, what about any of that? Does that, come, does that come back to haunt him or is it all pretty much sexual allegations? Oh, no, that's definitely come back to haunt him. I, people we were spoke, Democrats who were walking out of the polling station were saying that that, you know, it wasn't just the allegations. One w- woman actually said, a Democrat, I don't even believe the allegations. Uh, I, I do think this might have been, you know, embellished. But given his record, I, I just don't think that he embodies uh, that he would represent Alabama the way I would want Alabama represented in the Senate. Um, you know, so, so yeah, I, I do think that that's also comes into play. People, uh, it's more than just these allegations. People also looking at um, their past records. One uh, African-American woman said the same thing. She said, you know, it's not about the allegations. It's about, uh, I just think that he would be better for my people given his, um, his past record. What does it say about Trump? How would it reflect on Trump if, in fact, Moore did lose? 
Well, uh, we know that Trump doesn't like to be rooting for the candidate that uh, loses. So we saw that during the primary with uh, Trump's candidate, Luther Strange, losing. And then Trump, uh, you know, so Trump had endorsed Strange. Strange lost. And Trump then took to Twitter to say, well, I didn't really support Strange anyway. I wanted to support more. But my uh, my people, my advisors told me to support Strange. And so he kind of walked back his support for Strange there. Uh, If more loses, uh, it's certainly not good news for Trump. It shows that uh, his endorsement maybe doesn't carry the weight that it should. Uh, and, and you know, we saw in Virginia candidates that the president was uh, rooting for lost and Democrats were elected. And so that would appear to be kind of a referendum on the president and, and his uh, first year in, in office. Um, if people do reject more, it would seem that people, mm. especially Alabama, it's, his, it's, it's the state that helped propel him uh, to victory in the primaries in the election. Um, so if, if now a Democrat wins, it would seem that the tides are kind of changing here. So and as, as a Canadian down there, what's it like? Well, when you come back, when you, talk- when you come back to and talk to your Canadian friends, what, what are you going to say? I'm going to say that it was fascinating to talk to these people. I'm trying my best to try and, and understand why, how someone could rationalize uh, voting for an accused child molester. And it is, it has been fascinating to uh, talk to these people. Again, they, they say that it's, um, I, I mean, I understand what they're saying. They're saying that, you know, for them, their religious values are their priority. And mm. so, uh, you know, if you think that, I won't get into it, but essentially, yes, they, yeah. they, they have found ways to rationalize that some people do bend over backwards trying to do that and it's not working out so well, but some people have um, arguments that, that make sense. Um, and it, it has been uh, really, really fascinating. I can for imagine. Sure. I can imagine. It is Della Quatera has been with us, Global Nationals, Washington correspondent uh, reporting live from Alabama. And as thank you so much for the time. Much appreciated. Thanks for having me. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. Just just an incredible story. Uh, We've had two interesting stories, uh, and and these sorts of stories uh, literally take your breath away when you hear them. Um, We were talking yesterday about the the boy from Tennessee who had been bullied and the impact that his uh, video had made on people. And sometimes when we have issues, when we have problems, we don't realize that there's many others out there, pretty much everyone, every family has some sort of issue, some sort of problem that, uh, that they are dealing with. And uh, lots of times we feel like we're alone and we're the only ones that are, that are going through this when in fact, uh, as people open up and, and tell you their stories, uh, you, you find out that uh, there's a lot of it going on. Uh, that being said, I, I want to bring in, of course, David Sweet, MP for Flamborough Glanbrook. Uh, the local MP has opened up when it comes to the passing of his daughter uh, this past summer. And just um, not only a tragic story, but a, a story that uh, with a lot of courage in it. And, and uh, certainly uh, at the end of the day, uh, David feels that telling this story is the best way to move forward. And uh, David Sweet is with us now. David, thank you very much for joining us today. We appreciate this. Thanks, Scott. Merry Christmas. And uh, if I may just say, there's another tragic story that just prevailed a short time ago. So I just wanted to extend my deepest uh, sympathies and prayers uh, to uh, the family and friends of uh, Yosef El Hasnawi, uh, mm. a, a young man who was trying to trying to do what's right and uh, and uh, pay the ultimate price for it. 
Uh, David, uh, first of all, our condolences uh, for your loss. Uh, I applaud your strength and courage for coming forward and telling this story, especially how difficult it must be. Uh, it's difficult just to read it. Uh, if you were here, I'd give you a big hug. Um, tell us about Laura. Tell us what she was like and how, and how she made it into your family. Uh, Laura was a beautiful young girl. We adopted her as an infant. Um, uh, her uh, biological father uh, was actually my brother, who has passed away as well, and my younger brother. Uh, and uh, he struggled with mental health all of his life. So, uh, in fact, uh, when we adopted her, he was in an institute, and that's why we uh, took action right away and adopted her as an infant. And um, so we knew... Uh, that we would have uh, likely our hands full, and uh, uh, we uh, raised her knowing that. Uh, she was in the midst of uh, uh, many brothers and a sister, and um, uh, there were, I think, uh, uh, raising Laura was, was uh, in one sense, was best described by uh, her brother, my son, at the funeral, who said, when Laura was having a great day, we were all having a great day, and Laura, when she wasn't, you know the rest of the story. How often were there great days? How often were there bad days? There were more great days than there were bad days. There were, uh, you know, Laura was, um, Laura suffered, uh, her, her official diagnosis was uh, profound ADHD. She was uh, someone with uh, mental health challenges that was an extreme extrovert. Uh, and so she projected herself uh, when she, in her positive traits. They were, they were extremely positive. She uh, for example, for a year, she was a, an LRT, a leader in training uh, uh, for um, a number of Bible camps. Uh, uh, she was uh, uh, an air cadet. She, um, there, there's even in her darkest days. I mean, at the at the uh, visitation uh, the day before the funeral, uh, hundreds, and I'm not exaggerating, hundreds of young people uh, came in the visitation, and the stories were. Amazing. We had to just park our emotions and just listen to them how Laura had made such a positive impact in them, whether she was in a room or on the street or whatever. And uh, they were always uh, times of self-sacrifice where she cared for people more than herself. So she was very, very brilliant. And at the same time, she struggled with uh, with her mental health demons. And uh, that, would, of course, would have her to act out and, uh, and um, lash out at people that she loved. She sounds like she was very outgoing and full of personality. Oh, she was. She was electric. It was, and, and, a, and that's not an, an understatement, or I should say it's not an overstatement at all. She was just, uh, uh, you always knew uh, whether it was a great day or not so great day where Lara was. She was if she was in close proximity to you anywhere, um, uh, like I said, she was just uh, magnanimous in her, uh, in her personality. Uh how did she harness that? Well, at first, uh, at first we had a great, a great uh, psychiatrist uh, at McMaster Children's Hospital uh, who um, deserves so much credit, uh, Lonnie Schweigenbaum, who, who did a great job with Lara. He's moved on now to uh, the University of Edmonton and still working as a pediatric uh, psychotherapist. But uh, at first, it was uh, we found that. Uh, uh, dosage of Ritalin worked very well for Laura. It helped her to get through primary school. 
Uh, in fact, it worked so well, even the teachers at the school knew if we had forgotten a dose or anything because there was an immediate change. So at first that was that worked, but later on, uh, Laura didn't want to take those drugs, and she just felt like uh, taking them was a was a statement that, uh, you know, she wasn't right. So um, she stopped it, and that was where the behavior began to get, uh, you know, unmanageable many times. Uh, any sort of medical uh, advice or 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 knowledge of of you were talking about her father who had also also suffered mental illness is this something that was passed down? How much could you learn from from her previous uh, from her parents perhaps? Yeah, there was. I mean, I, I didn't I didn't know really uh, uh, her birth mother, but I'd, obviously I knew her her biological father. And there were some uh, behaviors that were uh, profoundly similar, and there were there were many that weren't. Um, uh, and I think you know her her constitution was so strong that she confronted herself, uh, particularly the last couple of years that we knew her. She would, in fact, her taking her own life was such a surprise because it seemed to us that she was really getting a handle on uh, how she was going to deal with. Uh, her own thoughts and own emotions and uh, these these impulses that were inside of her. How much was she aware of her own situation and what she was going through? How did she visualize herself? She was very aware. Um, you know, there was there were times when she was immature and she wasn't. Uh, she left home uh, when she was fifteen. Uh, we couldn't stop her. She wanted to go. Uh, and then there were a number of years where, um, you know, uh, you know, she she really wasn't connected to who she was, and she was acting out, et cetera. And uh, you know, and like I said, that mixed with some very positive things as well. But you know, you're talking about awareness. I think that ha- that happened in you know the the last three or four years, where she began to have a a maturity beyond her years, and and. Uh, you know, apologize many times for her past behaviors, and mm. and uh, you know uh, was trying you know trying to explain how tough it was to try and get a handle on uh, her you know her her emotions. I we went to a workshop you know uh, to try and help Laura when she was young, and you know one of the things that they said was uh, don't ask these children uh, why they do something because they don't know. It's mm. it's all it's all emotions. They act and they. It's a an act of futility to ask them why. Um, how, how much do we know now that perhaps we didn't know then when you when you first got Lara? How has the attitude changed since then and now? Oh, or has treat- it in treatment? Yes, in treatment, it's night and day. I can't say enough positive about McMaster and the treatment that uh, Lara got um, compared to. Uh, when uh, Paul, her her biological father, was young, there was really, you know, nothing. There was a, a experimental program called Beech Grove that was a, an arm of the Ontario Psychiatric Hospital in Kingston, and but it was so much different. In fact, I, it was a, one of the most negative experiences in our family's life because we we took. Uh, I remember I was like six or seven, and I just remember we had all these meetings, and then at the end we got into a room uh, uh, with some clinicians, and they said, well. Uh, the problem with uh, your brother, uh, your son, is that is your fault. You, you're, you, you've all contributed to this, and it was 
Wow. Uh, I just I just remember wow. looking at my mom and dad and thinking, wow. I mean, my I mean, I, I was old enough to know my parents weren't perfect, but mm. uh, that you know they were turning themselves inside out to try and help them. And uh, so, but uh, entirely different now. In fact, I remember uh, when. Uh, when Amu came home, I'm sorry, just a little emotional, but, mm-hmm. uh, and she said, uh, the first thing they said was they, they took Alara into a room and had, and had her just kind of play around, and and they said, uh, wow, we're, we're so sorry, Mrs. Sweet, for what you have gone through, and I, I said, that's one of the first things they said, and she wow. said, yes, I said, I said mm-hmm. what, a, what a difference, you know, this, uh, this um, yeah, so there's none of this... Uh, you know the blame is gone. The, there's a there's a there's a clear notion that, that um, these things happen from a multiple of reasons, uh, from genetics to uh, past substance abuse to uh, environment, uh, and uh, uh, they they're much better at um, you know going deep in the diagnosis and, and offering assistance. What, what, you know to the degree mm-hmm. that they can. How did Laura uh, react to the the passing of her father, her biological father? Uh, that was, that was, uh, uh, both tough for her and both, uh, um, I, I guess that was one of the elements too, that really, she got to know him. Um, uh, we had a challenging relationship, Paul and I, uh, because of the, his behavior. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he wanted, he asked if he could come back and get to know Laura. He was dying from a lympha, lymphoma. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we approached that carefully, but it, uh, for the most part, it was positive. And um, so she was there with him uh, in the, the Good Shepherd uh, Hospice when uh, he passed away. And I think it was, um, I think it was epiphanal for her. I think I, I noticed it was uh, the, the change. It, it was positive for for a couple of years before that, but it was substantive after that. And I think she really. Uh, yeah, changed for for the better for that hmm. in such a, a great way in, in taking responsibility for her actions and thinking about other people in yeah, so many ways. Did you always feel that it was you were walking on eggshells that you just didn't know what was going to happen? I mean, even towards the latter part of her life, it sounds like as you mentioned, things were turning around. She was really getting a handle on things, and then all yeah. of a sudden, this. Uh, how do you how do you process it? Yeah, you were always, in a sense, yeah, yeah. I think that's probably the best way to put it. You were always on high alert. There was always, uh, you were always concerned that, uh, because we did have the, the police visit us on a number of occasions. Uh, you know, yours, many nights you just, uh, you know, you're both a busy day and we look at each other and say, just wonder where Lara is or if she's okay. Or was it difficult uh, for you when she moved out? Yeah, it was. It was profoundly difficult. She was, uh, you know, very young and. Uh, uh, and we knew the challenges that she had, and uh, so we did everything we could. Uh, I, I just, I, I just commend my uh, uh, beautiful wife. She just spent, she never stopped reaching out to Laura. Always, it didn't matter what the behavior was. Always reaching out with a kind hand to uh, do whatever she could to uh, just build a bridge. You know, everything from in the in the darkest days to you know just trying to track her down to buy her some groceries to. Hmm. I think I mentioned to Samantha when she, that you know the one the one year we, I think she bought four or five parkers for her in the winter. She mm. uh, lost them. So, mm. uh, but you know it's just, um, and then those things, those uh, 
gracious overtures paid off in uh, a real real reestablishment of a strong relationship when she got her uh, when she when she uh, yeah, got a handle on her own emotions. How did the rest of the family react to having Lara as part of the family? Everybody managed it different. Um, you know, uh, uh, I, I, all of uh, her siblings loved her deeply and, uh, uh, you know, were there when they could, you know, tried to do whatever they could with the maturity level they had. Um, but in the, on the, the tough days, they, you know, many would just leave the house and go to her friends and shut the door to go to their room. It's, uh, you know, it was, uh, it was tough for them and, and we had... It was kind of like all this energy that had to go to Lara, and at the same time we had to reserve some to be able to, you know, just talk it through with uh, her siblings on, you know, how we're we're trying to help her. Did she ever talk about what she wanted to do with the rest of her life? Yeah, she did for the last uh, couple of years. You know that she had all kinds of aspirations when she was younger as well. We had her at uh, Circle Square Ranch. She often talked about uh, wanting to be a horse trainer, et cetera. But uh, in the, the last part of the year, she was really kind of, you know, looking at possibly being a chef, possibly even uh, she was starting to swing a hammer and do some framing and thinking about she might want to uh, do that, start her own business and contracting. So it's, uh, she, she, yeah, she was, she had aspirations really all through her all through her life, at, and they varied depending on the level of maturity she was at. How do uh, you know? Obviously, David, you and your family, uh, you know, did everything you possibly could to 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 help Laura. How, when when things go south like this, how do you process it? You again, we talk about her on the uh, improving did you ever think that she was falling off the rails or or oh, was it, or, or was it just you you never knew when this was going to happen did you expect this i guess is the uh, question i'm asking no i didn't expect it no um you know in a sense it's just with I, somebody being so unpredictable how can you not always be fearful of this yes yeah so that i think i didn't expect it but i did but it also wasn't you know it wasn't a shock yeah. um uh you know, I think if we made it through, somebody along the way said to me, you know, the best way to be a parent uh, is, is, is uh, it's not your fault, you know, to try and, instead of, uh, you know, reflecting on a day when it's gone bad and, and always searching your soul for what you did wrong, you know, try to always keep your mind on the fact that you're trying to help, you know, your kids, no matter whether it's Laura or the others, to, to grow up to be mature contributing citizens and don't allow your mind to go to the dark reaches of, mm. uh, you know, if I if only I had it in this and that. And I think that's what really kept us, somebody said that to us, and it, it kind of kept us psychologically healthy through the process of trying to help them all succeed. And of course, with the extra energy that's required for Lara. Why, why did you want to share this story the way you have? What do you want others to take away from it? Listen, I, I, the number one reason, there's several reasons, but the number one reason is that I think it's the best way to honor Lars' memory and Lars' efforts to mm. to wrestle with uh, you know, the hand that she was dealt with in life and to, and to amplify her legacy. And I guess the other aspect is that, 
um, you know, I had to ask myself. I, you know, we had this discussion with all all the family members. I'm a public figure, and we know how the situation with mental health. We know the, the stigma that there is, and I think the best thing that I can do is not stay quiet. As would uh, I felt it was a responsibility to say something, so that uh, those people who were out there who were suffering in silence, who you know, like we did, were wondering, you know, if their child was screaming for two or three hours at night, if you know, what happens if the neighbors call the police? You know, they, there's no, you know, there's no, how do you explain that? How do you, mm-hmm. and all those things that, you know, how do you, how do you sit down with your child and, sit in, and convince them that they, if they take a drug, it's good for them? And yeah. all the heart-wrenching things that parents go through, If I, thought, I felt if we just told the story that maybe some people would just be able to sit back and go, okay, we're, you know, we can get help. We, it's not, it's, we're not fighting this alone. Have you heard, have you had any response yet? Any feedback? Yeah, people have been so beautiful and gracious. Uh, you know, some some people have contacted us that have had. I just had a doctor uh, this morning email me whose child is suffering from fetal alcohol syndrome, and mm. was grateful that uh, was grateful that uh, we went public, and uh, uh, it was an encouragement to uh, to their family. And so we've had a lot of uh, gracious people. Uh, encourage us that we have have been public with the story and also that it's, tell us that it's been very helpful for them. David, uh, I can't explain uh, how helpful this touch, this, this, these sorts of stories touch everyone's life in, in, life in, in some way, and uh, you've touched many today. David Sweet has been with us, MP, Flamborough, Glambrook, uh, last summer uh, lost his daughter, Laura Sweet, and uh, has come forward to tell the story uh, in honoring her and, of course, uh, helping those who may be experiencing uh, the same sort of issues, which, my goodness, we all are in some corner of our family. David, thank you so much for your courage. Much appreciated. Thanks, Scott. Merry Christmas. And you. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML.